But is your contention, could Facebook offer a system where like they watched your webinar and said, Jono's webinar, uh, give it a nine out of 10. We'll let him run ads here. And then they watch another one and say, no, that's garbage and they can't run ads. Because is that viable? The answer, I rarely give solid yes, no answers because most things are nuanced. This is not nuanced. Hard no. Absolutely not viable in any way, shape, or form. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 23 of season three of Bad Voltage. My name is Jeremy. I'm once again joined by Jono and Stuart, uh, one day late, as it were, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We it's are, my fault. It's a, it's a single topic episode, this episode, and it, it starts with a little bit of an introduction to Apple and, and a change that they made recently, but quickly goes into advertising and behavioral advertising and micro-targeting, and a pretty wide-ranging episode, I think. I don't know if you both have anything to add to that. No, the conversation that we're about to have is going to be very interesting, um, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, half the problem with this is um, we we keep picking subjects recently where you think, well, yeah, okay, this is, this is a whole show, but it could be fa- perhaps 15 whole shows if we wanted it to be and just pick the individual parts apart. There's, there's a lot to this topic, and it wouldn't surprise me if... Yeah you know people come back to us and say well what about this and what about this and then we do another show on it later on yeah it's tricky i'm sure you've you've many of you've noticed this that we um because uh, we'll we'll go into this and we'll talk for we'll, we won't know how long it's going to be so we'll start talking we'll record that segment first and then if we kind of run out of steam after half an hour then we'll do some news <laughs> um so there's six month old news in our show notes that we've never got to there, there are a couple news items that we will have to remove for sure it, yes it does need a bit yeah. of refreshing uh, what's disappointing is things like the GameStop thing right by the time we actually get to it I'm not going to be able to have Jeremy come in and explain it to me because it'll be old, boring news that no one cares about, which already borderline is, I think. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that news is like the equivalent of like us reviewing the Amazon Kindles back in the first couple of seasons. <laughs> so Indiana Jones ancient. archaeology through news. We keep digging back through. It's like, hey, I've got this great new thing. This thing called ICQ has just come out. It's fantastic. <laughs> Bing will have already replaced Google in Australia by the time we talk about it. <laughs> Just literally do so, yes. these in the intro. That's cheating. So, um, yeah, lots to get into. Should we do it? We shall. Apple, as we know, are spending a fair amount of their development effort and their publicity effort on privacy and on how they're taking fairly strong steps to protect user privacy in the face of other things. And one of the things that they did as part of iOS 14, is they're blocking what they call the IDFA, which is a unique identifier, which um, applies to a particular... Now, is it a particular person or a particular device? I think it's just a particular device. I think it's device, isn't yes. it? So, yes. Um, so the IDFA, which disappointingly doesn't stand for anything cool, it stands for Identifier for Advertisers, is a it's a unique identifier for a given mobile device, and the idea behind it is that advertisers could use it to track you around places, right, between different apps, uh, so on and so forth. And Apple have now said, yeah, 
we're going to allow users to block the ability to do that. Now, the the advertising industry are, to put it mildly, unhappy about this concept because they lose the ability to track you. And so there's been quite a lot of pushback about it. Apple's pitch on this is that privacy is a fundamental human right. It's at the core of everything they do. I'm quoting them directly here. And so they say, we're giving you more control over the data you share and more transparency into how it's used. And critically, what they've not, they've not removed the identifier for advertisers, but what they're doing is they're giving users the option to say, don't expose it to this particular application. Well, there, so at the, it used to be opt out and now it's opt in and opt yeah. in with some fairly aggressive word. Ah, well, so, so, so this is, this is the important point. Yes. It, it has switched from opt out to opt in and the, uh, the advertising industry's push for this is that's not fair because if you give people the choice up front, so if you, if they try and use it, it pops up a little warning for you and, and Apple say, Okay, uh, do you want to share uh, this information with this application? You get the chance of saying yes or no. The advertising industry's pitch is, if you give people the choice, they'll almost all say no, to which Apple are going, yes, 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 they will (laughs) almost all say no. You'd almost think that that was deliberate. Well, and this is nothing unique to advertising. Opt-ins, in any scenario, you get much lower people opting in. Defaults are powerful. Um, But more importantly, I think... There's two different kinds of opt-in things. There's opt-in things where people would mostly basically want it anyway or mostly don't care. And then you've got yeah, things where yeah. um, people don't really understand what it is they're giving up and the very fact that a question is in place makes them aware that they're doing this. So almost everyone opts out, you know? Right, um, yep. So that's all fine, whatever. We're not really here to talk about the fact that Apple are doing this, what I think is interesting is, is this unfair to Facebook? (laughs) 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 Not a question you hear Mr. Langris saying very often. This this, this may seem like a kind of contrarian pitch. And and to be clear, the intention here is not to have a whole segment talking about Apple versus Facebook and the Apple. No, that's kind of the, this is just the framing for the rest of it. Yeah. The the amuse bouche, some would say. Some might say that. Probably not me. I'm quite surprised I said it, to be honest. Not you before you moved to America. Um, (laughs) Some amusing bush. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so here's the thing Facebook have made the point that this is going to screw them. And it kind of is. I think. one part of your question, because you asked a very broad, unnuanced question. Part of it is that I, I think it's unfair in that Apple themselves are not exactly uh, a party to the same opt-out that everyone else is. Putting Facebook aside for a second, F- Apple treats themselves very slightly differently than they treat the rest of the ecosystem. And to me, that is a little bit unfair. I think the answer to what you were actually asking is very much going to depend on what you think of Facebook's uh, business model in general. So if you think tracking people across the internet is, is something that should never happen, and if that is a part of your business model, nothing is unfair, basically. And for people on the other side of that coin, I think they'll think it's unfair, if, if that makes sense. There's a broader question here, isn't there, around um, is the p- tracking for the purpose of detailed targeting 
Okay. Now, historically, when we've talked about tracking and privacy, of which we've talked about many times over the years on Bad Voltage, um, we tend to favor protecting privacy. And then the line is like, where do you where do you put that? But one argument here is that if it wasn't for, for example, Facebook being able to enable people to run ads that are very tightly targeted, you could argue that there are hundreds of thousands of little businesses and larger businesses that have been able to have a business and employ people and make some money. And the way in which they attract an audience is through ads. So there's kind of like two edges, two, two sides of this, isn't there? There is, on one hand, I think we'd all agree that um, enabling people to run businesses, especially you know entrepreneurs who do a little side gig or whatever it might be, or they've got their own little consulting company or something, is good. But on the other hand, you can't just lose sight of privacy. And where is the lion? Uh, I mean, maybe, but does the targeted advertising stuff even actually work? Yes, it does. Uh, no conversation over. Not, not in the way, <laughs> not in the way that I think most advertisers would pitch you that it does in any way, shape, or form. I have an experience I can share, if it's useful. Okay, sure. I have some experience and some academic research I'll share after. Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like this is going to be interesting because I too have um, uh, a statistic. <laughs> um, but go, Man. go, go, John. Because it's, uh, it's, John, it's always you, you have the floor. It's always get. It's always good to get the anecdata out there first. So go ahead. This puts me in an awkward position now because now I feel like Anvil about to go on stage <laughs> before Iron Maiden goes on stage. <laughs> no, the, the only Anvil here is one that's just about to drop, my friend. But it's about to drop. So I'm going to preface this with the obvious statement of I'm not an expert when it comes to this stuff, but. You know, so as a tiny bit of background, you know, I'm a consultant, but I'm building out like a training side of my business, right? And if you want to sell training courses and things like that, then you need to attract a larger audience of people who can hear about you, kind of come in, and then you you can sell them these products. So a common methodology of doing this is advertising. Lots of different advertising networks, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all the rest of it. I have been doing enormous amounts of research and learning into advertising. And I ended up hiring somebody to help run my. I did my first couple of com- campaigns that were a complete and total disaster. They didn't, w- they didn't succeed at all. So I hired this guy to kind of come in and help me do this. Um, and and it's been quite a, quite an illuminating process. I've been doing it on Facebook, and what I've been advertising is a webinar, right? And it's all about Axe's favorite subject, content, right? So I. T- <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I basically, I feel like I feel like I ought to point out at this point that according to you two in previous shows, what that means is it's about literally everything. There's nothing excluded. <laughs> Could not have been funnier this. if it was completely fabricated. The fact that this is real is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, essentially, you know, I do this webinar for an hour, and then at the end of my webinar, and I, I think unlike most webinars, which frankly are a bit shit. I actually think my webinars are pretty decent. Like I have 141 slides of content in there. Like go through a lot of material, <laughs> and like give away uh, give away like templates and sheet, cheat sheets and all this kind of stuff, right? So I think it's it, I think it's it's worth it. And then at the end of it, I do my little pitch for my training course, right? Now, what I've learned throughout this process is that you make this funnel, right? So somebody sees the ad, they click on the ad, they go to the webinar landing page. If, they, if it looks interesting to them, they register for the webinar, then you send them emails, then they show up to the webinar, then you do the webinar, 
hopefully they stay towards the end. And then if they don't buy it, then you can send them further emails and then they may buy it in the next couple of days before the offer runs out. That's generally the flow that's happening. What fascinated me about the advertising piece specifically is I knew about this targeting. Like, so you can say, you know, I'm going to target people who in the, in the, in the realm of content, for example, people who use, um, Infusionsoft and people who use MailChimp and people who use HubSpot. And I can target people in certain geographies and only English speakers because the webinars in English and things like that. And what happens is you, the idea is that you usually test what's going on first of all. So I was testing headlines and the body copy of the ad. And for example, I made an ad, which was just me talking quite professionally to a camera with overlaid graphics and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't work at all. And the Facebook advertising dude was like, just why, grab your phone and record a video with wobbly cam and just share three tips about how to do content effectively. And that converted enormously, right? So there's all of these like little techniques that people use. And what's fascinating is that when you, for people who've not done this before, when people start converting into registered attendees, um, face, you can create an audience of people that look like them not physically, right? They just have the same kinds of attributes. So the more you run advertising, the more, I mean, obviously these people will be very attractive people. The more Facebook- uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking, it's like, oh my God, everyone who showed up to my thing looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that would be, re- that's an episode of Black Mirror right there. Um, <laughs> it is be Adrian yes, Smith is. for you. Adrian <laughs> <laughs> Smith, Kevin Spacey. Um, so- uh, so anyway, so Facebook learns more about those people because apparently Facebook tracks something like forty to 50,000 individual variables for each individual account. And then it can come up with that combination of variables and then start referring the right kind of people to your ads. So what I read, and this isn't just the Facebook guy telling me this, but also I read this elsewhere, that once you get over 500 registrations, your cost per lead plummets. It gets much cheaper to, to, to attract people. So what, but what's fascinating, and this is, I think, an interesting point in the conversation is when I was looking at other people who run these ads, because what a lot of people do is, is called, um, funnel hacking, where you go and look at other people's ads and you see what they do and you replicate the techniques that they use, such as using bright images or certain types of headlines. A lot of the ads I was looking at, which are for like marketing guru type people, are just, I think, unethical. It's like promising these incredible returns on their time and their investment and almost like get rich quick kind of stuff, which is banned on Facebook. But, you know, I I refuse to do that. Like, I think my ads look and sound, I think, reasonable. They're not sensational in nature. So I wish that Facebook would reward decent people as opposed to outlandish marketing claims and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't right now. So that was my experience of Facebook. That, that horse left the barn a long time ago. So w- That's true. I, I, there's a lot to unpack here. So first of all, for those of you who have not used Facebook audiences, the number of ways that you can target people is astonishing in a way that is terrifying. It's like friends of friends who have a female friend that had a birthday in the last seven days. It's it's like the degrees of separation and the th- things that you can track is and own a Camaro. Yes, it is. They, they so it, it used to be so specific that you could literally target an individual human. And there's a bunch of pranks where people did this. And now you have to, the audience has to have at least twenty people because it was that hyper specific. So, anyways, for, just to, to set a little bit of context there. 
Two, I'm curious in your experience, I, I, I get that you're targeting and using a bunch of things that you think will get the folks that you want in this to, to take your webinar. Number of signups aside, how have those signups been from a quality perspective? Um, so this is where it gets complicated. So this was the first, this is the first time I've, uh, so take a step back for a second, just for people who are less familiar with this, who are listening. When people are talking about advertising, they often talk about what, uh, hot, cold, and warm leads, right? So a cold lead is somebody who you don't know. They don't know you on the internet. They see an ad and they go and register for something that you're, in, that, that you're offering, right? Such as a webinar. People who are no, who know you or or have a problem that you can solve, they're warm people, and then people who are just gagging to you know they're really interested in what you're doing. They know who you are. They 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 think you're good at what you do. Those are hot leads. This is the first time I've attracted cold traffic, right? Now the 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 uh, I had a, a, a decent number of people register, about three hundred and forty people, something like that. I had about a thirty about a thirty percent show up rate. Uh, which is a bit lower than I would like. Um, I was, because generally you want to kind of get closer towards 40% show up rate. But from what I understand for cold traffic, it tends to hover between 30 and 40%. But this is where it gets complicated because there's a, a reasonable likelihood that the reason why I had fewer people showing up is because I wasn't, for example, reminding them enough via email to come and join. Or doing other, like some people will offer, like if you come to the webinar, you'll get a free gift, like a, you'll, we'll send you an ebook if you stay to the end of the webinar. People use things like that to kind of get people to, to, to go along. And this is where I think the advertising thing is complicated. Is it's difficult to tell in terms of attendance, whether that's that they're the wrong kind of people who clicked on the ad or whether it's something else that's going on. So, and, and, what, and this is part, what was the actual rate of people that spent it's early days because my offer lasts two days and I did the webinar yesterday, but right now it's about 5% of, of people who, who, who attended. Well, 5% have, have not bad conversion, right? Well, but and I, again, I don't know. 5% is not of those that clicked the ad, the 5% is of those that showed up. That's so 5%, 5 of those showed up. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, as well as. That's less good then. I thought 5% is not yeah. bad, dude. But, and okay. I'm, I'm objectively shit at sales. Right, so this is the the weakest part of my still over, process. Still over, one, I, still over one percent now. I mean, that ain't nothing. Right. Well, and and this this first campaign, like the first two weeks of it, was just um, was just uh, experimentation, right? So I actually looked it up that we ended up running in total one hundred and eighty ad sets. So th those are individual ads, well, individual groups of ads that went out there where we'd test something for like two days. Generally, when you get a thousand impressions, is how much data you need to determine whether a test is right. So that's you know testing whether you <clears throat> one headline works over another one and different combinations of variables. So I was expecting with this first campaign, there's going to be a lot of waste because you're doing a lot of testing. But the next testing time we and targeting are in no way, shape, or form related. <clears throat> They're two different things. No, 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 no. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is that I think in terms of my cost per lead gotcha. overall in the campaign. Um, there was a lot of you're saying there's two in independent variables there that you're still tweaking, so it's difficult yeah. to We're tease still, out. Yeah, the one. so there's a gotcha. lot. There's, there was a lot of tweak in this campaign. I think the next time we run it, there'll be a lot of ads or combinations of variables that we won't run because we know that it didn't work. Sure. Um, and then gradually you improve the other elements of it. So it was a little bit disappointing in one way for me because I was expecting more sales, but I understand why that wasn't the case because I think my sales piece isn't there. It's just not good enough. So. 
at least my experience with Facebook ads, and I'm much more on the business to business side, and you're a little bit more on the business to consumer side. So that could account for some of the difference is that the quality of lead is astonishingly low and trends down, not up even as you tweak. Because I think the first cohort of folks clicking are probably warmer than you realize. And then the longer that ad runs, it's colder and colder. And and the numbers Mm. seem to reflect that for me. So I guess when you say do targeting ads work, there's really two separate conversations. It's do they work? I guess I'm going to break that thinking about it further into three. It's does it work for the publisher whoever who's showing those ads, whether that be Facebook or someone showing it through Facebook audiences? It's does it work for Facebook? And then it's does it work for you as the person who wants, who's putting ads up? I would contend that it very much works for Facebook or people selling <laughs> ads in general. And I would contend that it works for neither people on the side. I don't think it works for publishers. And there's pretty good data to back that up that I'll get into a second. And I don't think it works for you (laughs) as well as you think it does. I think you targeting niche audiences would roughly be the same. Partially, and I'm not saying targeting advertising doesn't work at all, but I think the rake that they take for that compensates almost fully for the value add that they're giving. So um, I suspect Jerry's going to quote the same statistic that I am. Does it have the number four in it? Um, oh, not the headline. Oh, number yes. You're so- talking <laughs> oh, about right. Veronica, Murata, and uh, Alessandro. The, the, the Minnesota and Carnegie Mellon University study. Yeah. Uh, so um, so to, I'll, I'll fill it in, and then, Jerry, you can um, explain it in more detail if you like. Um, but uh, to quote this thing here, um, researchers at the University of Minnesota, University of California, over at Carnegie Mellon University, suggest publishers only get about 4% more revenue for an ad impression that has a cookie enabled than for one that doesn't. And then they go on to say, much of the premium that you get is likely to be eaten up by the so-called ad tech tax. The middlemen's fees that eat up 60 cents of every dollar spent on programmatic ads and this john while you were describing this i thought well what you're describing sounds pretty compelling to me you know you're um you're identifying particular niches that you think would listen you're able to advertise to them directly you're getting a reasonable amount of signups and so on and that seems good right and 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 i don't quite understand how that squares with the idea that i mean what they're pitching is that ad targeting doesn't work at all it's not that you're doing bad ad targeting they're saying if you do ad targeting you get four percent more than you would do if you just didn't do anything they're they're talking about the other side of the equation they're not talking about jano in this case they're talking about if non-facebook sites were to show jano's ad they get four percent more revenue which equates to uh 0.00008 cents per click is what it adds to the ecosystem on the publisher side and, and on the publisher side, to back that up, because of GDPR and some other things, in 2019, the New York Times completely stopped running any kind of behavioral ads in all of Europe, which I'll consider statistically uh, large enough to be yep. significant. <laughs> and the revenue was impacted 0% for, for, for all of Europe. And, and this, so this is what I find... To back that up. This is what I find fascinating, because, John, as you say, that sounds like a very compelling story that you're telling there. It does sound very convincing. But equally, if you look at this big picture... People are saying, just don't do ad targeting at all. I mean, it's not even uh, the- No, you shouldn't do no targeting. I don't think you should do behavioral targeting to this level. So I think in Jono's case, targeting to people that liked things that he think are in the niche that he's training for would be some right. amount of targeting. But my point is not that those results would not be slightly worse because they would be worse. 
My point is he would pay less for them because basically what I'm saying is Facebook is eating up the gains. Not He's not getting better results yeah. okay. because he's paying more for better results, which in the end will trend the same in the end for him. You know, one thing I, I'm curious about here, and just to be very clear, I'm not suggesting for a moment that that this even works. I just don't know. This is my first foray into it. So this may not work, um, just advertising in general. But I do wonder what the um, how this varies depending on what you're selling. So I was thinking about this the other, like the other day. So to, to use my example, right, the package that I was offering in my webinar um, is $345. And it's got like the course, but it's got loads and loads of bonuses, like, you know, hands-on mentoring and all kinds of stuff. And I think it's a good package. And I think it's good value for an investment in that. Uh, and you can pay it in like three installments, so $115, whatever. But therefore, um, because it's a higher ticket item, it's not massively, it's not like a $2,000 thing. But I think that if someone's a, a cold traffic person coming to a webinar, they're probably going to be fairly unlikely unless they're they've got they're flush with cash and this is exactly what they want to spend $345 on something in a webinar like it's something that I've never done for example um but if you're selling something that's $20 then maybe they they'll be much more open to the idea of that but then if you're selling something that's $20 you can't you, be spending a dollar per most, lead to acquire you can't, them. You, yeah. <laughs> and you, you've, exactly. So I wonder, To this is where I think it gets complicated, is to what extent the role of the ad plays, the size of the, 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 the expense of the product, and then all of these other things that are going on as well. Like, like I say, you know, email nurture. And, you know, one thing that's very common is that people will retarget ads towards people, for example, who showed up to a webinar. Now, that's not something... I'm planning on doing right now. Um, so you you're only sh you're you're showing relevant ads because you know there's this theory of someone has to see something five to seven times before they're likely to actually buy it. Um, so I what I it, it's it's complicated for me to to get a real firm sense of like what does that mean for different people when it comes to the specific ads because I just I struggle with the notion that showing targeted valuable content to people who they're in your audience that you care about. I struggle that that can't be valuable, or that that you know, it's the it's the conversion into into sales. There's so many variables mixed up in this. I just don't know. I, I, my contention I would not be that it is it has no value. It's that the value is not worth the cost. I think before this conversation, we've tended to cover this. I've certainly tended to cover this. From the value to you is not worth the cost to society of having everyone having everyone's data collected but jeremy's pitch is the value to you is not worth the cost to you which is a much more compelling so more argument. the second one but i think or i'm sorry more the first one but yeah. also the second one and i think that it's not that it isn't creating value because google and facebook are making unbelievable amounts of money on this but i think they're the main beneficiaries but the, the thing about it's the part of this from like a sociology perspective that fascinates me is the story is compelling but i think it's very much a story because it has a narrative that's believable and they can throw very real numbers at you because they are making very real money i, I think they're trying to convince you that the value is there for you when in fact the value is there for for them i've i've spent a week attempting to find some kind of definitive statement as to whether 
they're actually more valuable and whether this stuff works. And obviously, what you've got is a whole bunch of partisan stuff on both sides, and I have no idea what the actual truth is. And because of that, it means that you're kind of inclined to believe the thing that sounds plausible. And, Jono, like you, it seems obvious to me that if I can make an advert for something and then put it in front of only the sort of people who'd be likely to buy it anyway, I'm going to do better by doing this. But equally, yeah. there's a bunch of people going, you know what? It feels like that works. Actually doesn't work. And I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, and that's the thing that I found fascinating about this is, for me, the mathematics of if you can, like, in the US, the 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 generally accepted goal for a cost per lead should be around $2, right? That's how much you should pay for an individual to to register for, let's say, a webinar in this case. Uh, that was not the case with my advertising campaign. It was much, it was between 6 and $10, I think it was. But again, we were doing a lot of experimentation and we're new at, well, I'm new at this, certainly. Um, so I don't even know whether it can get down to that. So the, the 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 theory that if you can spend, let's say you spend $2 per person who registers, and then you make a certain amount of revenue from that webinar, let's say, and you've got a more expensive item, the idea that essentially all of these little $2 fees that you're paying for those people to show up, and then the proportion of people that purchase it, I the the theory holds with me that you can make some money from it. What I don't know is when you factor in all of the labor that's involved in setting up all of these individual pieces from the email and the webinar and all these different elements, what I don't know is to what extent it it, it is it is profitable. But what I when I compare what I what I compare this to is some of these I think I've mentioned this previously on the show. I got invited to this group of marketing experts because uh, I went on this guy's podcast. And some of these people are making ridiculous sums of money and they're primarily bringing people in through advertising like they're making literally they'll do they'll do a webinar and they'll make two to three million dollars like from a webinar um and they're spending tens of thousands of dollars on advertising but i think what they've done is they've been able to tweak every individual detail in that funnel because they're marketing experts Mm -hmm. and i'm not like i think i can get close to that but i'll never get to that so this is where I think that maybe what you're talking about, Jeremy, is that for most people, this advertising model won't work for them because they don't have the experience or the time or, you know, to tweak all of those individual pieces. But when you can, then you can be very profitable. Well, I think we're conflating a couple of different things here. One, advertising for better or for worse works. Works very well. Yeah. That's why it's a thing. <laughs> but, but beyond that, I think we're slightly blurring the line between the, the behavioral micro-targeted advertising that require massive amounts of data on individual people and targeted advertising, which I think is fine. So someone advertising on Linux questions because they want to reach folks that are interested in Linux is very targeted advertising, but requires no one in that chain to have any amount of data, except for the fact that they know that ad will run on a specific site. So if you want to target people who like running, go targeting running magazines and running forums and running sites in general makes a lot of sense and is very targeted advertising, I think, in a good way. You're supporting niche publishers. You're, you're, the whole, that ecosystem makes sense to me. And from there, advertising works. The the specific it, type of... Sure. It's worked from the day someone was... People were humans and started advertising until about eight years ago. So yes, the answer is yes. My point is, not to cut you off, because I know you were halfway through a statement, but 
if you go and advertise using your example of Linux questions, um, I think for most of those kinds of sites, it's probably going to be impression-based advertising. Mm -hmm. um, um, do we know that that is a more effective, as a general rule, a more effective way of advertising than somewhere else? I only have one experience of doing this, that, which is quite recently. That's what... Oh, good. Well, I was going to say, my I, I was advertising my new music project on this network of heavy metal websites. And I've seen extremely low performance on that. I'm not even selling anything. I'm giving away music for free. That's the that's the the pull in. And it's it's performed very, very poorly. Well, I mean that's what the Carnegie Mellon study was saying, right? As you say, Jeremy, it's not it's not comparing highly targeted advertising versus putting up a billboard at the bottom of a mine it's comparing right. it with what advertising looked like before all the targeted stuff which is still you advertise in the middle of television programs which attract the sort of audience you want or on websites that attract the sort of audience right. you want or whatever and there seems to be very little in the way of difference yeah, but the, I think this we, we paint with such broad brushes here, right? Because even if we just look at Facebook advertising, as we've already talked about, there is a it's it's fucking complicated, and there is a massive variation between someone boosting a post on a Facebook page where you click a button and off you go, and somebody who's a Facebook advertising expert tweaking a campaign and testing and all this kind of stuff there's a massive gulf there and then i think there'll be a massive gulf between me advertising my little ep on a site and a big record label doing it right and uh, you know the the expertise in that specific advertising domain aren't we comparing two really broad brushes here kind of but i also think and this is something that the tech industry tends to think more than it should do but there's an awful lot of superstition and cargo culting in advertising i mean you mentioned earlier the idea of um what did you call it ad hacking where you copy what oh, worked, funnel hacking. copy yeah. funnel hacking where you copy what worked for someone else and to some extent that does work but equally there's an awful lot of yeah copy this because it worked for other people with no real understanding as to why or even if it does or testing it because you haven't got time so there's an awful lot i think of cargo cult working in this and therefore i mistrust people's self-reported reasons as to why they are successful in the same reason that i mistrust successful entrepreneurs who tell you why they were successful because i oh, think there's a massive success bias there yeah exactly you know i mean you talk to a bunch of people who basically who did a bunch of good work but basically got successful because they happened to roll double sixes and the dude next to them who did the same work. I mean, the other thing where it's pretty easy to say, I don't I, I don't know that Facebook is in any way being genuine here, is that they claim that the tools that they're offering are enabling this renaissance and boom in small businesses. Small businesses are at historic lows and have been down trending down since Facebook started. So if they're helping small businesses, it's certainly not showing up in the number of small businesses that are viable. That's, I mean, that's an interesting thing because, uh, you, you know, I mentioned like these kind of marketing gurus with their sensationalist headlines. One of the things that I have a real issue with, with some of those people who do this, um, is that their audience are people who set up like little businesses or side project, side gigs and things like that. And and they say like, all you need to do is put all of these pieces in, in a play and build your sales funnel and have a product and all the rest of it. And it is 
I mean, I consider myself to be a, a reasonably intelligent person who's interested in this stuff, and I found it mind-numbingly complicated, <laughs> let alone somebody who is running a dental surgery or an office yeah. or like an actual like I'm not a small business. Like really, I'm not a small business compared to um a dentist who actually has a building and has staff. <laughs> I'm basically an enthusiastic hobbyist who gets paid for what he does. So like it's two very different worlds, I think. And I think that they misrepresent how fucking complicated it is to do this kind of stuff. And and how much money because there is this there, there is this like mantra of and you always hear these these stories of you know i i made an ebook and it was 20 i put it on online for 20 dollars and i had 1500 dollars come in overnight on my first day and i knew i was under something big and like most people don't have that experience pal exactly i mean you you, to <laughs> you totally did that's fantastic well done for you so now let's line you up against the 12,000 other people who did the same thing as you and didn't get anything and you start to look less like wow this is yep. a really good idea and more like you just happen to be the one where the the curve of zero poked up above zero yeah you know, it's a it's a blip it's like darren brown did a whole show called the system precisely about this it's one 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 question i do have and i mentioned this briefly earlier on and we talked about this a little bit in our prep show for this is do you think that it's viable for and notice how I say viable, not whether it's likely. <laughs> for for, for Cav Facebook, caveat accepted. <laughs> for Facebook to have some kind of, for want of a better word, and this is such an overloaded term, an an ethics uh, consideration for ads, right? So, for example, if somebody puts up an ad and like, and it's not sensational, it's targeted to people who were genuinely interested in it they're not using cheap hacky techniques to kind of get around around that um um it it genuinely delivers on what people are asking so let's say a webinar where you actually deliver really good content really like i think the webinar that i did for example i think it genuinely was Just useful to the pick, audience, so the audience picking an example at random picking an example at random <laughs> But I've been to countless webinars where it's a one-hour-long sales pitch. It's like a timeshare sales yeah. pitch. And I think they're fucking horrible. Um, but I think it would be amazing if Facebook would prioritize – like, we, we all know that what, whatever you incentivize, you get that happening. If Facebook were to prioritize ads that are based upon high quality and just some means of being able to have them get – prime placement because the challenge with facebook advertising is it's basically an auction right there's a certain number of people there's a series of automatic auctions that are going on and you can be easily outbid especially if someone's piling yeah. lots and lots of money into the auction but is your contention could facebook offer a system where like they watched your webinar and said jano's webinar uh, give it a nine out of ten we'll let him run ads here well, and then they watch another one and say no that's garbage and that they can't run ads I because is I think, that viable? I think, the answer, I rarely give solid yes, no answers because most things are nuanced. <laughs> this is not nuanced. Hard no. Absolutely not viable I, in any way. I'm shape not suggesting form. that. No. And, and to be clear, I mean, I'm not sure this may not apply in the United States of America, but everywhere else, if you put out an ad which is actively misleading and tells lies, you'll get a kicking for it. I'm not talking about actively misleading. And, and, and if you're not talking about actively misleading, then I'm with Jeremy. Hard no, because then it's a matter no. of discussion, right? 
No, let, let me let, <laughs> let, let me give you an example. Let me give you a simple example. If right? I think so, if I think your webinar is actually bobbins and didn't help my job at all, can I get Facebook to pull it because you were misrepresenting it? No, what 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 I mean is, let's say just as can, a simple can, can example. I, can, no, that was a real question. Can I do that? I mean, I've got the email form open right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, and I hope not for <laughs> no, me. I, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm assuming I cannot. But please explain. But, you know, let's let's say for the sake of a simple example that, um, yeah, I mean, it's completely non-viable that Facebook are going to watch your webinar and make a determination based upon that. Yeah. But let's say you could opt in as an advertiser uh, and say, okay, well, I'm advertising a webinar and then I can connect my Facebook pixel to my webinar platform and let's say I get 70% of people who showed up to the webinar stayed for, you know, 50 minutes of the 60 minutes. I would say that that metric tells me that it's probably reasonably decent and people are actually sticking around for it and be able to reflect that back to the ad. So then that ad, if it's run again, because people reuse ads because they get all the likes and everything on them, could get slightly higher placement than somebody whose webinar people only stuck around for 30% of the time or 40% of the time. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So you're saying because as part of the bidding process, could they automate some kind of quality that would some kind of have quality a multiplier that would slightly impact pricing? I can't for the life of me see how you could do this without being gamed to hell and back. There's no way of having an objective measure of quality, which is what you need here. But even if it's objective, it will get gamed. You look at Amazon reviews, right? For a lot of, especially somewhat inexpensive products, there are companies yep. that pay people to buy the product so that it is a verified purchase and will not only buy it for them, but then give them extra money to give, give it a, a five good star. Review, yeah. And there's no way yeah. that's, I mean, objective by some definitions of objective and that a person did the thing. It's not an objective. But it's not actual I mean, review. <laughs> right. But and and leaving that how aside. Do sc- I- how do you screen for that? The B- the BBC reported like yesterday that people are selling fake Amazon reviews in bulk online. Yeah. There's t- ten different websites selling fake reviews for five pounds a piece, right? And that is obviously I put in the show notes. Should should we do a show about this? In fact, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's interesting. I, I think that'd be an interesting show to talk yeah. about fake reviews because I've noticed something similar with playlists on um, that, on Spotify as but well. That to yep, me, I think, I think is the point. That's actively against the rules and they're having difficulty stopping people doing it let alone people going yes this is quality and then someone saying but i don't think it is quality and then you argue about it but i i, I do think that the what, what's i think what is what is so interesting about all of this marketing stuff is you know as as opposed to brand marketing where you put up a billboard and you can't really tell how well it's performing with exceptions like if you've got a billboard for mcdonald's in an area and you've got a mcdonald's two miles away then you can maybe make a reasonable assertion that people are going there but with all this digital marketing stuff you can track every element of these funnels which i think is what's so powerful because people can tweak them and it just it seems like an interesting conversation here is is there a way of actually somehow measuring the impact of the thing that you're selling right of the thing that or the thing that you're advertising um, and of course it can be gamed and there need to be protections in place, but I feel like we need to get away from some of these advertisers who are promising some sensational elements and 
the, the advertisers will, will never, they will never volunteer that information. They will always talk about the one person who sold the $1,500 of eBooks in their first day, yeah. as opposed to the 12,000 who didn't. But I wonder if there is a way in which they can opt into something kind of similar to Trustpilot. Like Trustpilot mm. is a way of giving people social proof and confidence that something's legit. And people opt into it because they feel like that helps. And I'm sure that's game to hell and back as well. But it just seems like this is an interesting area of conversation. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, a related thing, um, I think. Tom Scott, relatively famous YouTube bod, um, put out a video. Who is he? I never heard of him. What does he do? He's a, he's a, he's a YouTuber. That's, that's, like, of- that's like literally his job. Um, I don't know whether you Yeah, call- I know, but what does, what's his channel about? <laughs> oh, I don't, okay. There, he tends to do sort of uh, things that he finds interesting, educational videos about um, science or about just oh, okay. things that are Cur- Curious fun. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this kind of thing, right? Um, cool. uh, he's got uh, dramatically better over the last 10 years of production value and stuff like that. Um, but he did a video... Um, Published on Monday, so before we recorded this show, but after we thought of this show, <laughs> annoyingly, um, about product placement and how the rules are different for online publishers than they are for uh, TV and films, which I didn't hmm. realise. Now, the rules hmm. on product placement are very different between the US and the UK, and he brought that up. But there's there are also much more stringent requirements if you're doing online video on YouTube or something like it than there are on television. And I didn't realise this. So, I mean, his pitch was, this doesn't seem very fair, and I think TV and video should, TV um, and film should have to uh, fit in with the same um, requirements that we do as online people. Fine, whatever. Um, but I wonder if part of it is that the TV and film people got kind of grandfathered in, and what they want the rules to look like is you have to say up front this contains product placement, rather than in a tiny little note at the end or whatever, or not at all. And so this idea of let's define a new set of rules from now on might not be a bad thing to apply to this. I agree with you, Jono, that maybe we should try and do something, even if it's mm. going to be gained. I mean, Take take your example of um, the number of people who stayed for over 75% of your webinar. Now, mm. I say to you, okay, if 50% of people stay till the end of your webinar, you'll get a bunch of money off of ads or something else cool happens to you. How would you structure your webinar to increase the chances of that happening? I bet you could think of 15 different ways without even trying very hard. That's gaming it, and you'll do that. Not because you're some kind of malicious, evil, moustache-twirling person out to destroy society, but because, hey, here's the thing I can do. So this is exactly what you said about but that, you, you get what you incentivize. And so that right, incentivizes I, people gaming the metrics. But so, I think I think that the, the key is you want it, want it to be gamed in the right way because people using webinars as yes. an example, which is a common thing that people are advertising, um, at least in, in like digital, in the digital world, um, you want to get people to stay to the end of the session because usually it's at the end of the session where people are selling whatever they're selling or they they want people to like there's a conclusion to this to, to the webinar there but i, I, I think, think the thing point it, was if if that amplified the ad placement people would just have bots that stayed to the end of the webinar 
Or they pay people to stay to the end of the webinar or whatever. Yeah. Or, or the link they give you to join the webinar joins it at 59 minutes and 40 seconds or something, but, you know? And that wouldn't, yeah, but, and there'd need to naturally be measures in place to, to prevent against this. I think the other thing, getting back to product placement, is intent, where if there's a 30-minute show and they happen to have a Pepsi in the corner is one thing. If your whole Instagram post is about selling a thing... It's and just, you don't mention different. that you're being paid to push that as right, though it exactly. were your own yeah. opinion. Yeah. Well, this is kind of... Hey, uh, this is another potential segment for a show, but this is where I'm very interested in the in the ethics of all of this. Like I say, since I've been reading about all this digital marketing stuff, reading some of these people and what they're doing, their techniques clearly work, right? And there's a reason why their techniques work, but often the techniques are applied in a way that I consider to be unethical. And it seems like there isn't a there isn't a framework or a taxonomy or something that systematizes the ethics of this stuff. It's left to the intuition. I was talking to this guy once, right? Um, and he mentioned this famous marketing person and and he pulled up his screen and he shared his screen and walked through this guy's landing page and how it was structured. And I was in the middle of throwing up in my mouth while I was looking at this. <laughs> it's all like underlined red text and flashing buttons and all this shit. And I said to him, do you not find this gaudy? And it's like the side of a Reno casino from the eighties. Like it's so <laughs> unnecessarily over the top and cheap looking. And he said, that's what you've got to do to make money, which to me is not an argument. <laughs> like that's not a response unless you're living on the streets <laughs> and desperate times call for desperate measures. There's always now, a better way of doing bear with Bear with me here, right? This is, I think it might be a more purist view that I'm actually prepared to defend, but it was kind of a thought I had, and I'd be interested to hear your response to it. So take your example of being told, don't do some kind of high production value video with those, just hold up your phone and talk into it, because that's more authentic, right? But that's not... Yep actually more authentic you didn't decide to do that authentically you did it because it gets more clicks and more people to pay attention to it it's sort of performative authenticity yeah right which is almost by definition not actually authentic right <laughs> well that's an interesting point because but i don't know i don't know how, i mean because obviously in the limit case, I'm saying to people, what you should do, you should do advertising without any concern about which advertising is most successful, which is obviously stupid. But I don't, but I don't know what the alternative is. Do you just like film yourself while you're on the toilet and then go, look, this is properly authentic. I'm not making any concessions to advertising. Well, here. And to <laughs> right? be to be clear, the, to be clear, I think there's a diff I think there's kind of a difference between tone and authenticity, right? So okay. Um, and what I mean by this is. That technique of using your, your camera to talk into it, right, um, instead of a fully produced video, I think the point there is that people who are, yes, people who are browsing Facebook are more interested in something like that. But it's not just because of the production of it. It's that usually those kinds of videos have got content in them. Like the previous video that I did was just an ad for a <laughs> webinar. There was no, there was no content. Such in a penis. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the actual thing where I was talking into the camera was three minutes and I was actually sharing information there, like sharing practical recommendations. And I think the main reason why 
first of all, people have got like an eye for ads. If they see anything that looks like advertising, then they're going to try and the, ignore it. Uh, what, so people, what we used to call banner blindness, but now applies to everything. Right. Yeah. But the other thing as well is, I think where you're where you make a really good point is going back to my example of the guy sharing the web page that was gaudy. The thing that rubbed me up about that is tonally, it's just completely different to me because it just it, it it's like the sham wow dude. <laughs> you know, order in the next five minutes and we'll send you two. But wait, there's more. All of that kind of shit. I find just I find it just it's crass. And uh but that's just a tonal difference. Like I would never ever want to present anything like that. But you know, it just I don't know. It just there's all this there's this kind of like there's ethics, there's tone, there's technical efficiency, like all of these things are kind of melded together. And I don't know. There's no way of crisply drawing the line there. And that, that I think, is the problem with your your pitch, your idea of how can Facebook help lean us towards essentially better ads. Because what we want uh, is not really ads that aren't lying, because things like the Advertising Standards Authority are there to take care of that. What we want is ads that aren't crass and aren't showy and aren't I think you want ads that aren't crass. I think ads that are crass outperform because everyone is not you well no I, the point is that um, that's the thing with ads is everyone wants almost something everyone different. almost everyone that claims to not like these things in the same way that almost everyone claims they don't like um having their data collected um in order that they can be targeted by advertising basically everyone in survey says yeah i don't like that but it works and everyone keeps doing it I've never heard anyone admit they like Nickelback, and they keep selling millions of albums. So it's yeah, I know it's the, remarkable. It's how the world works. <laughs> One time, a pickle was more popular than Nickelback. It was. Do you remember that? I do. On, on, on Facebook, no less. <laughs> on Facebook, no less. Um, you know what? I think we've been waffling about advertising for too long. Uh, we've talked for it for fifty minutes. There is no time for news at this point in the show. Yeah. Um, so, so should we should we do the intro at the beginning of the show instead of at the end? I feel like, one? well, that uh, bear in be mind that lovely. anyone listening to this has already heard the intro because of you know timey wimey, be- because the because of the uh, space time because, vortex, because that- of the <laughs> editing skills of nerds and media is why. Yes, yes. Is, is, is exactly why. So um, we should say thank you very much to Marius Quarbeck from Nerdzoom Media, who are Nerdzoom Dot Media. Well played. Exactly. Everybody needs a Quebec. Uh, that's not, Quebec sounds like some kind of quantum measurement. Like <laughs> three Quebecs. This 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 three point six six giga Quebecs. Um, anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just okay, to I don't watch know. in real time the wheel spinning is. <laughs> Uh, it's glory. <laughs> By the way, you two should stop me when I go down one of these avenues of complete absolutely. Yeah. What do you mean? Because I knew partway through that that I was like, "What the fuck am I talking about?" Right now? That's when I just mute my microphone and let the magic happen. You see, here's the thing: like Jeremy's going, "Nah, man, I I want this to run and run. This is brilliant." Whereas me, I gave up trying to stop you doing this sort of thing 15 years ago. It's completely pointless. It doesn't work, and I can't stop it. I just have to live with it now. Uh, anyway, uh, so we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll step over that moment there. Um, and now that bombshell. I would like to hear, because one thing we have not talked about in this show, and I'd like to see this in our community, <clears throat> is first of all, anyone who's got uh, advertising experience, but also experience with other advertising networks, such as YouTube, 
LinkedIn, Reddit. Um, because beyond our experiment with advertising back in season one of Bad Voltage. It's been a long time. Wow, yeah. yeah. Where we, we haven't really got a lot of experience there. So it'd be interesting to hear whether the criticisms and the comments we've made about Facebook apply to other networks as well. So, all right. Shall we uh, wrap it up, chaps? Okay. We shall. Later, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.